Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I know for many, prophecy is something that's difficult to understand. I pray we would leave here with understanding of what your word says in this chapter this morning. Uh, we pray for anybody who's new here. We pray they would feel welcomed and loved. We pray for anybody who's here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. quickly, Greg and Taylor, I got your letter. God bless you guys. I appreciate you. And thank you for the words of encouragement. Uh, it's a, a young man who was in the military and they had asked me to get him a, um, write a letter for him and some of the guys in his platoon to be able to have the exemption, religious exemption. They've been watching our church ever since from Kentucky, wrote me a very nice letter that they feel like they're a part of our fellowship. So God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. All right. So Daniel, the first six chapters of Daniel were historical. It's Daniel's life being taken captive as a teenager all the way up until he's in his 80s in the lion's den. So the first six chapters of Daniel is historical with one chapter where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and it's about the future and Daniel is the one who interprets it when he starts killing all the wise men. We get to chapter seven and chapter eight. Uh, we saw in chapter seven yet another dream interpreting this very same future events. And then in chapter eight last week, we only got halfway through the chapter. So I'm gonna review that quickly. We'll finish the rest of the chapter. But here's what I want you to say about prophecy. Prophecy is God's way of preparing us for what is to come, but it also gives us assurance that the word of God is true. Amen? So there have been hundreds, if not thousands of prophecies, if you count every prophecy in the word of God, hundreds just about Jesus, all fulfilled by Jesus. And some of the stuff we're going to be rereading the beginning today and then the rest of the chapter, Daniel is given this dream, and then we're going to see Gabriel, the angel, shows up to interpret it. And when he interprets it, there are things that some of it would not take place for 250 to 300 years. And while it was in the future for Daniel, it's in the past for us. So we know that that prophecy came true exactly the way the word of God says it. But also part of Daniel 8 speaks of a future event. Because we looked at a man last week by the name of Antichus Epiphanes, and he was a man, his name named himself uh, Antichus the God. That was what Epiphanes means. And he proclaimed himself to be God, and he was very much like the coming Antichrist. Often in Scripture, God will give us foreshadowings. There'll be a, a, an earlier fulfillment of a prophecy that's not complete, and then you'll see the completed one in the future event. So Antichrist Epiphanes, among others, people would say Caesar Nero, people would say Hitler, others had a spirit of Antichrist where you see their motivation is to dominate the world and to kill all the Jews, right? And often to kill the Christians as well. And so we've seen those pictures and Daniel got a glimpse of this 500 years before Jesus came to earth. And about, three, about 250 years before the Greeks and the Romans would come along and it's all written down in the Bible, then it is interpreted by Gabriel as we will see this morning, the angel Gabriel, and we will see that everything that's in the word of God is exactly what the word of God says. Guys, we don't believe in spite of the evidence that would be superstition. The word of God is true. It's proven historically, archeologically, and it's also proven prophetically. Can I get an amen to that? 
So last week, in the first two points, I tell the message, if you ever outline gravity, you'll, that'll look familiar to you because it's the same one from last week because we only got through the first half of the text last week. But prophecy is preparation for what is coming. Often, people, there's, there's kind of two different things, ways people look at prophecy. Some, they want nothing to do with it because it just overwhelms them. So they kind of ignore it. I know pastors that will not teach the book of Revelation because they don't think they understand it. And that doesn't go over well with me when we have those conversations, because we're called to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? How dare we avoid things that God wrote down and gave to us? Amen? We read the whole letter. So then there's other people that are so into prophecy, that's all they ever want to talk about. And you've met people like that, and they just want to talk about everything. And again, there's a balance. And I, I know a pastor pretty well who all he does is teach prophecy. And that's a problem also. We need to teach the whole counsel of God. Amen? Now, prophecy is not so we are more educated than somebody else, and now we can argue about prophecy with other Christians. The reason that we need to understand prophecy in the Bible is so we are more motivated to reach people for the kingdom of God, realizing that Jesus Christ could come back any day. Amen? Is there anything else that needs to happen for the Lord to come back? What's the answer? For First, he raptures the church we have a seven-year reign with the Lord in heaven. We're in, with him in heaven, but there's a seven-year tribulation, which will be the worst seven years of anything that's ever happened in the history of the world. So no matter how bad you think it's been, it's going to be far worse. And we should not rejoice in that, but we should see that there are going to be people that we love, if we are raptured today, that will go through that, and we need to let them know that there's hope and there's an answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So point number one of prophecy is a preparation for what is coming last week. Greatness in the eyes of the world will be meaningless on the day of judgment. You know, the things that we strive for, the things that we think make us uh, important or special or significant. Uh, and again, when you have a job, be the best worker. When you go to school, be the best student. If you're you know, serving your family or ministering to your family, minister to your family the best way that you can. Be faithful to whatever God's called you to do. But know that all the accolades from the world or all the education in the world or all the amount of money or all the possessions in the world, when you stand before God on judgment day, will be wood, hay, and stubble. It'll all be chaff and none of it will matter. Amen? And these are the things that we dedicate our life to. And if the enemy can't destroy you, he wants to distract you. He wants you to focus on the things of the world so much that you never share your faith with anybody, that you're too busy to be in fellowship that you don't have much of a devotional life because you're so busy with the things of the world. Again, if he can't destroy you, he'll seek to distract you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? So the first thing note we saw last week, that greatness in the eyes of the world will be meaningless on judgment day. And the main person that focused on was Alexander the Great. Uh, you, know, you know you're kind of full of yourself if you name yourself Alexander the Great, Right? Alexander the mediocre, really. But he, Alexander, by the time he was 33, he had conquered the known world. He's in the prophecies. And at 33, he drank himself to death. He died because he had no more worlds to conquer and because his passion was to conquer the world when his passion should have been coming to know the Lord. Amen? Number two we looked at last week, there will always, always be and always has been a hatred for God's people. Again, Antichus Epiphanes is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. He was arrogant, evil, blasphemous as any man who ever lived. He conquered, murdered other rulers, persecuted the people of Israel, desecrated the temple, stopped temple sacrifices, opposed God, used murder and violence to try to get the Jews to submit to Greek culture and their false gods. He killed about 100,000 Jews. 
And it was out of that persecution that the Feast of Dedication came. So we saw last week, and let me make it really clear, and if you feel different than this, this is okay, we can talk afterward. Anti-Semitism is demonic, it's ungodly, and no Christian should have even a glimpse in that direction. Can I get an amen to that? Now, Israel, they are God's chosen people. Are the, are the Jews, many of them, blind to the truth right now? They have scales on their eyes. They've rejected the Messiah. Many of you know we actually met in a synagogue for a while when we were in Calabasas and talking to the rabbi. And the point, the, the significant thing that's taking place right this very minute in Israel is that we're seeing anti-Semitism on a rise like we've never seen in our country. Amen. And we have people that don't understand what in the world they're doing, but they need to understand. God says he will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. And I think one of the few reasons why our country is still as significant as it is right now with so much godlessness going on is we are at least to some point standing behind Israel. If we ever stop doing that, Lord, look out. Can I get an amen to that? And so there's a hatred for believers, Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so the prophets did who went before you. We shouldn't be surprised when an unsaved world hates being told that they need to be saved. Even the cross itself, people find the cross offensive. No one's offended by a Buddha in the Chinese restaurant, but they're, they're, they lose their mind over crosses. And why is that? Because it's convicting and the world will always hate those who follow the Lord. Amen? Now, Israel, we need to keep praying for them. I truly believe their greatest uh, revival amongst the Jews will take place during the tribulation. I personally believe millions of Jews will get saved during the tribulation. They're going to see the abomination of desolation. They're going to see what takes place with the Antichrist. They're going to realize they've been duped, and they're going to turn to God in mass. And the Bible tells us that we as believers should provoke them to jealousy. And I saw, and I mentioned this last week, I ran into some Jewish people during this time, and the one thing that both of them said in different ways is that we know the only people that will stand with us, stand next to us, and die for us if necessary is the evangelical Christians. And guys, that is a great testimony because I believe God will use that once we've been raptured and they will realize those who stood with us are no longer here and maybe that Jesus really is the Messiah. Amen? By the way, if you're witnessing to a Jewish person, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Just go home and read those. Those are pictures of the crucifixion 700 years before crucifixion took place. They clearly are speaking of Jesus. And whenever I meet a Jewish person, I go, so you believe in Psalms and like Isaiah, right? Isaiah 53. Want to read that to me? Who do you think that is, right? So I want to encourage you. There's an opportunity to share with somebody, again, who comes from that background. So let's pick up there in point number three. As we looked at the first two points last week, you can always go online if you missed it. Um, All the messages are available there. By the way, we also have a podcast you can sign up for, and you'll automatically get all of that stuff. So point number three on prophecy is preparation for what is coming. As bad as things have been, even greater persecution is coming for God's people. It says in verse 15, Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And it said, And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai. So if you remember from last week, in his vision, he was standing in a, a city called Susa. At the time, Susa was insignificant. It was Fresno, okay? And so, so it was an insignificant city. Sorry if you're from Fresno. God bless you. <laughs> but 
it was an insignificant city that uh, the Babylonians had control over. But as he's given this vision about the future generation, the Persians who were coming, later when you get to the book of Esther, they have a temple in Susa. And it was the place where they worshiped. And so it was a significant city in the future when this fulfillment of this prophecy took place. And so he says he sees someone on the Ulai River, which is in Susa. And then he says this, he says, uh, who call, who, between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he sees a man and he hears the man crying out and saying, Gabriel, go explain this vision to Daniel. So Daniel sees this in his dream and he sees this man who is standing there. I went through looking for someone to try to identify who that man was. I have an idea who that is. Who would tell Gabriel to go interpret the dream for Daniel? I think it's Jesus. I didn't see one commentary that said it was Jesus, but that's okay. And it might be wrong, but who's given Gabriel orders? Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I love when they name angels. There's only three angels named in the entire Bible. Michael, Gabriel, and who's the third one? Lucifer. Now, Gabriel, I love this because he, Daniel's vision is so significant that God, I believe, Jesus says, Gabriel, go tell him what this vision means. Now, Daniel had been the one interpreting the dreams before. Now he's the one having the dream. And this dream is so significant that one of the archangels... Gabriel is going to come and give him the interpretation. So Gabriel is one of the three named in scripture. Gabriel's name means strong man of God. He's the same angel that we'll see in the New Testament talking to John the Baptist about John the Baptist. He talks to Zechariah and tells him that he's going to have a child. Then he talks to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child. Have you ever thought, what are the angels up in heaven? Because we know that they watch what's going on on the earth. We know that there's a spiritual battle happening around us, and they're a part of it even right now. Can you imagine the angels who were all there, have been around the throne, who knew Almighty God, have known Almighty God, were created by Him? They were there when Lucifer was thrown out of heaven, and a third of the angels went with them, and they're watching what is going on on this planet with great interest, and they know what is coming, but we see that the angels are used by God. The word angel literally means a messenger. So Gabriel is sent as a messenger, sent by God to Daniel to interpret his vision, not just for Daniel, but for all of us. So sometimes you'll have a pastor misinterpret scripture. And I want to encourage you with something. The best way to interpret scripture is using other scripture. Amen? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And a lot of times people ask me a question about a verse, and I'll say, keep reading. And they'll go down three more verses, and there's the answer. Here's a good idea. If you're stuck on verse 12, read, to, read the rest of the chapter. And often the answer is right there. So we don't have to guess about any of this, because Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, sent by God, is going to interpret it for us. Doesn't get any better than that. Amen? Now, let me say this about angels, too. You know, it says there in verse 16, I heard a man's voice on the banks. And Gabriel is an angel, a faithful messenger of God. And we see in scripture that angels, they surround the throne, worshiping the Lord without ceasing. What are some of the angels doing right now? They're worshiping. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're witnessing what's going on in the world, but they're also engaged in a spiritual battle. 
Remember, there were times when they were coming to bring a message and they would say that I was withheld from coming to you because of the battle that was taking place with the demonic. The Bible tells us we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. By the way, angels are mighty. If you look in 2 Kings, in chapter 19, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. 185,000 Assyrian warriors of one of the mightiest armies in the world, and one angel wiped them all out. Guys, this is why we need not fear man, because God's got angels watching over us. Can I get an amen to that? And the Lord is on our side. And you know, he could just send one angel to wipe out every enemy that Israel has on the planet in 30 seconds. Amen? And so if anything is taking place, it's only because God allows it, and our God is greater. It says in verse 17 there, so he came near and I stood and when, I, and, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. By the way, every time you see an angel, what do the people do? They fall on their face every time. And what does this tell us about these angels? Just the fact they are not God. But you know what? God created them and you see them in their glory. And man, it just puts people on their face. One of the things that frustrates me, and it's such arrogance that it just breaks your heart, when people say, well, you know, for God, when I get up there, I got some questions. You don't have any questions, bro. I'm going to tell him. No. Face. Can I get an amen to that? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? The angels strike fear into the hearts of men when they appear to them. And angels are God's messengers should strike the fear into the hearts of men. One angel, again, killed 185,000 soldiers, but there are legions of angels under God's command. It says in 2 Kings 6, 15-17, I love this text, Elisha has a young man with him who he's discipling and ministering to, and it looks like they're surrounded by the enemy. You guys, remember this story. And in chapter 15, it's in chapter 6, verse 15 to 17, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? So he answered and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Guys, when you look and you think you're outnumbered by the world, just remember that our God is in control, and his angels are watching over us, and that God is faithful, and he sends messengers when we need them. And when we go through trials, we never go through it alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He never takes his eyes off you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And that's our God, and we don't need to walk around petrified about what's going on in the world. We should be grieved by it. We should have a passion to share the love of God with people, but we don't have to be afraid. Amen? And by the way, parents, grandparents, God's watching over your kids. Amen? He's watching over your kids. When they're out of your sight, they're never out of his. Be mindful of that. It says this in Psalm. Now, where did this guardian angel thing come from? Well, in Psalm 91, it says this. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall have angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now notice this comes with, if the Lord is your master and savior and your God and your king, and if you are pursuing him, 
that he is, literally has angels watching over you. Now, I don't know that I have an angel just assigned to me, but I know that there's peace in knowing that God is watching over us watching over your family. If you've got kids that are away from the Lord, if you've got kids that are walking in rebellion, know that the Lord, pray that the Lord would watch over them and God would draw them back into himself. Amen? Guys, we need to lose sight of being so overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. We're worried about the armies in the world and we should have a good military and we should do all those things. But guess what? I've read the end of the book, God wins. Amen? And he wins every single time. And praise God for that, and it should give us peace in the midst of the storm. We need not fear, because if God is for us, who, amen and amen and amen to that. Look at the end of verse 17. So he, Gabriel shows up, and Daniel, face on the ground. And now he's going to interpret the dream for him. But he says, I was afraid. I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that their vision refers to the time of the end. Now, this is where he's making it clear that while Antichus Epiphanes is about 200 years out from this moment, so Daniel won't be alive to see it, and certainly that's part of what's being shared, but he's also letting him know this is also speaking of the time of the end, and the time of the end is the end of this age. What age are we in right now? We're in the church age. At the end of the church age, we will be snatched away and that's Antichrist, Antichrist Epiphanes being a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, will come along and then we'll have the same spirit. And we'll talk about how they're both very much alike. So Gabriel assures Daniel that this vision had to do with the end of times. It says with, and it says with the latter time of indignation. And so he's letting them know that this is future events. So this is a problem for some because they see the prophecy as being fulfilled by the Medo-Persians and the Greeks, especially the time of Antichus Epiphanes. But the terms time of the end and latter time commonly refer what we call the very last days, again, as we are raptured away and it will be what takes place on the world during the time of the Great Tribulation. The answer is though this prophecy was fulfilled, but that's not the case it's not the time of the end. Now, Antichrist Epiphany is referred to by some as the Antichrist of the Old Testament. And let me tell you some things that Antichrist Epiphanies, who we looked at last week, and the Antichrist have in common. First of all, they will rise to power with force. So they're going to have an army behind them, they're going to have force, and they're going to rise to power. Antichrist Epiphanies, and so will the Antichrist. They will persecute the Jews. Antichrist Epiphanes did, so will the Antichrist. Antichrist Epiphanes stopped sacrifices and he desecrated the temple, so will the Antichrist. He seems to be a complete success. So do you know that the Antichrist will be praised by men for a time? For about three and a half years. We don't know what it's going to be that brings the world together under this man, but we know he's going to have a false prophet who will unite all the world's religions that are left, and if they're left, they're left. Can I get an amen to that? They don't know the Lord because the Christians will all be gone. Now, some will become Christians during that time, but the false religions of the world will all join together, and then the false prophet will point them to the Antichrist as being the Savior, if you will, the one that's going to save them from the world. It may be that there's gross famine, and he comes up with a way to feed everybody. I'm not sure what's going to take place, but for some reason, we know he's going to be, we'll see it in a little bit, he's going to be good-looking, charismatic, he'll be great on television, he'll be on everybody's iPhone, and he'll be this guy that speaks with eloquence, and people will be duped by him. And this is why we need to quit worrying about someone being charismatic and listen instead to the content of their heart and their message. Can I get an amen to that? 
We live in a time right now where people are flocking to people because they're charismatic. You know what? They're, most of them are flim-flam salesmen preaching a false gospel. Amen? And we don't want that. And so we know that the Antichrist will be a man that draws people unto himself. And for a time, they're going to think he's the answer. And then they're going to find out three and a half years in when he... When he goes in and he defiles the temple, he's going to you know, slaughter a pig and proclaim himself to be God. And then the last three and a half years will be the greatest time of the entire tribulation when we'll see the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. We will see anybody who gives their life to the Lord or anybody who doesn't take the mark of the beast, it will cost them their lives. And so when we look at Antiochus Epiphanes and we just see how evil and vile this man is, he's pointing to someone who's much worse. And the worst is yet to come for unbelievers. As believers, this is as bad as it gets for us. For unbelievers, this is as good as it gets. Amen? For us, we have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of heaven. Look at verse 17. He says, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright. Verse 19, he said, look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation for the appointed time, the end shall be. So do you know that before the foundation of the world, God knew exactly every second that we would be on this planet? He knew he would create you. He knew you where you would be born. He knew how you would live your life. He knew the choices you would make. Now he's given you free will. He doesn't make the choices for you, but he knows. So the fact that God is all-knowing and all-powerful does not take away our free will. There's always that debate with Christians. Well, is God sovereign or do I have free will? The answer is yes. Amen. Amen? God is sovereign and we have free will. We choose our own path. God knows the path we will choose. Uh, it's a poor analogy. When I was a youth pastor, I used to use it. That it's like God's in a helicopter watching the parade and we're standing between two buildings and we only can look out and see one foot of the parade going by. God knows what's coming. Can I get amen to that? And God is faithful and God is in control. And so as believers, what he's saying is making known to you what shall happen. He's getting them ready for the trouble that is to come. There will be a time of indignation. The vision is to prepare the Jewish people that they aren't finished with difficult times. Yes, you've been through difficult times. Now, where is he writing from? What's going on at this moment? Where is he? The visions of Susa, but where is he? He's in Babylon. Remember, they were taken captive because they were worshiping idols. And they have spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. So he's in Babylon. It's one of the wealthiest, it may be the wealthiest city on the planet. One of the most powerful cities on the planet. He gets this vision of things that are going to take place as he's sitting in a place where they are powerful and they think they're invincible. And he's going to be told about the nations of the kingdoms that are going to come and wipe out Babylon. And then the one that's going to wipe out the Medo-Persians. And then when the one that's going to wipe out the Greeks. And guys, anytime you think you've arrived, anytime you think you're safe, anytime you think you're invincible, it's a time for us to look up and recognize and be humbled before Almighty God. Because reality is, our country is safe at the moment. That could change in five minutes. Amen? And good news is, God's in control. And our safety and our hope is not in the United States. It's in Jesus Christ. Amen? So even though they're in a time that Babylon is almost over, there were more typical times ahead. Now, why did they end up in Babylon? Because they were worshiping idols. You guys remember that? If you've been coming to the midweek, we saw in First and Second Chronicles and First and Second Kings that they had turned their back on the true and living God and were worshiping idols. And God literally allowed these idol worshipers to drag them off into captivity. If you've been coming for Ezra, at the end of 70 years, they sent people back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. 
So this is the time when this is taking place, and he's having visions about the end of the world. Because for our God, he's outside of time and space. Amen? The latter time of indignation, up to this point, we've seen prophecy addressing the coming Antichrist epiphanies, but there's going to be several hints that applies to someone else as well. And again, sometimes biblical prophecy has more than one fulfillment. In Malachi, it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great day of the Lord. Well, then you see John the Baptist, and they talk about him coming in the spirit of Elijah. He's not Elijah reincarnated. Reincarnation is not in the Bible. Amen? But he had the spirit of Elijah. He was a foreteller of the one who was coming. And we do know Elijah. I personally believe Elijah is also coming back, because I believe he'll be one of the two witnesses when they are during the Great Tribulation. I believe it's him and Moses. So times like latter time and indignation usually refer to the time when Jesus will return. It says this in 2 Peter, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. This prophecy about Antichrist will have double fulfillment in the Lord, and we will see that he too, like Antichrist, will persecute Israel, Revelation 13. He will perform the abomination of desolation. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, he opposes and exalts himself about all that is called God or is to be worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You see people that proclaim themselves to be God today. I'm the God of my own universe, and I'm the God of my own planet. I'm the God, I'm the God and I've never seen more attacks on the word of God in my life than I see right now. I've never seen more people that say they're deconstructing. You know what you're, you're seeing? You're rebelling. You're rejecting the Lord. There's no deconstruction. Stop it. You've never been built right or you just stayed right. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> If you build your house upon the rock, it ain't coming down. If you build it on the sand, it's going to crumble. Can I get an amen to that? And so we live in a time where people mock God and they curse his name. His name is used more as a curse word than it's used to, to worship and honor him. And that's the time we're living in. It's a time of indignation. It's a time where the, the Lord's name is being attacked. And by the way, as believers, we must not sit silently by out of fear of man. Amen? Someone's cursing our God. I had, a, I had a coworker, she would say Jesus 300 times a day. She sat in the cubicle next to me, and she would be mad at her paperwork. She'd be going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I go, prayer life, sounds good. I'm glad you're reaching out. Can I join you? You know what I mean? Oh, Pastor Dave, stop it. I said, well, you stop it. If, call, if you want to call out his name, let's call out his name. I'll call it with you right now. Let's do it. You know what I mean? And then 10 minutes later, Jesus, Jesus praise, praise his holy name. I mean, what you know? But the point is that nobody says, Buddha, 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 Buddha. Amen? Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. L. Ron Hubbard. Nobody does that, right? <laughs> they don't do that. Because you know what? Those are all false prophets. That's not the truth. Joseph Smith. Nobody does that. Jesus Christ. Because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And there's no more powerful name on the planet. He's the creator of all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And he has the name above all names. And it should be honored, respected, glorified, worshipped, and proclaimed, not cursed. Amen? And so he's saying in the last days, it's going to get worse. People are going to get further away from God. And they're going to come after God's people, speaking in this case in context of the Jews. Then it says in verse 20, The ram which you saw, having two horns, they're the kings of Media and Persia, the Medo-Persians. Is that pretty clear? He names this place. He tells you who it is. Now, we know in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he had a head of gold, arms of silver, a chest of bronze. And what would happen is 
The head of gold was Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And then the arms of silver were the Medo-Persians. And then bronze were the Greeks. And then it went down to, you know, the the, the, the silver, the silver and, and the, it went all the way down to the toes and talked about the 10 toes and 10 nations. And that's the future, gener, future nation. That's Rome. So the point is, we see it in that dream. Then we saw it in chapter seven being identified by beasts. And then we saw it in this chapter. And it said, they equated the next, gener, the next kingdom to come be a ram. And what's interesting, we said it last week, when they uncovered the coins of the Medo-Persians, they had rams on them. And the guy that the, their leader would wear a ram's head on top of him as he led him into war, their general. And so it's been prophesied here about a hundred years before it takes, or many years before it takes place. And here it is. He tells them exactly who it is. It's the Medo-Persians. Now, the large horn that is between its eyes, it says, or look what it says, the ram you shall see, verse having two horns, they're the kings of the Medo-Persians, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. So you had the Medo-Persians, and they're going to be overthrown by the Greeks. Now, you'll remember that this is being written, this chapter, in the third year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar is going to be the one that the Medo-Persians are going to invade and wipe him out. And if you guys were here for Daniel chapter 5, he's having a drunken rager. He doesn't think, he doesn't worry about it because they have this great fortress around them. He thinks he's invincible. And then a hand comes down in the middle of the rager and writes on the wall, meanie, meanie, TKLU Farson. And when a hand is hanging in the middle of the room, writing on the wall, kind of gets people's attention, right? And what does he do? It says his knees began knocking together and his hips were loosened. He messed himself and he's standing there petrified. And Daniel comes in and says, this is what it means. Your days have been counted. You're found wanting and God is going to take you from your kingdom today. And that day he died. See, when God's judgment comes. And, and so the point is that this is going to take place not many years ahead. And the Medo-Persians, they stopped up the water to get into it because they had, a, they had water flowing through the city. And so what they did is they dammed it up and just walked in on the dry riverbed right under these, because their, their temple was so huge and their fortress is so huge that they, they felt that they were safe. But the enemy walked right in. So Gabriel clearly identifies each coming kingdom by name. Again, the Medo-Persians. And then over a hundred years later, it says there, the ram, which you saw having two horns, the Medes and Persians, the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn is between the eyes is the first king. The large horn is Alexander the Great. So the Greeks were coming. Now they're about 200 years out. So he's, he's telling something that's going to happen 200 years in the, pre, in the future and the Greeks are going to come in and wipe out the Medo-Persians, and there's going to be one large horn who leads the way. Now, we know that Alexander the Great, his father had been king, and Alexander in his teens was worried that his dad was going to defeat all the enemies, and he was excited to do it. Now, we saw that it talks about him moving quickly. In, in the previous chapter, it's pictured as a leopard, the Greeks, because they moved quickly. He only had an army of 35,000, and he literally wiped out the known world was conqueror of the entire world. And then, as I said, he's dead by the time he turns 33 because he's so depressed because there's nothing else for him to win. He just wanted to conquer the world. And once he conquered it, he found out it's not all it's cracked up to be. You know, sometimes in the world, you'll see it. I remember uh, Kurt Warner, you know who that is? He's a Christian. He was a quarterback for the Rams and he loves the Lord. And he, he fought his way to get into the NFL. And, uh, you know, he was bagging groceries. He got a tryout. All the quarterbacks in front of him got hurt. He ends up playing. He ends up winning a Super Bowl. 
And they were talking to him about it and they said, how satisfying was that? He goes, it was good for about a day. And then I realized, oh, we won the Super Bowl. So what? Amen? Well, if I just get that promotion, then I'll be satisfied. No, you won't. If I get that new car, new car smell wears off. Amen? If I get, there's those things that we strive for, we think will bring us the peace we're looking for. If I can just find the right spouse, that's a wonderful thing, but that's not, the, that's not the total answer. If we just had kids, if we just had a bigger, if I just got a promotion, we think all those things are the answer. And the reality is, once you get it, you're going to realize your, your flesh will never be satisfied. Alexander the Great is the greatest example of that who ever lived. He conquered the world and still was not satisfied. Steve Jobs, when he died, end of his life, all I've conquered meant nothing. You go through all these people that seem to have the world by the tail, and what they're doing is they're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic, and they got the nicest deck chair on a sinking ship. Guys, it's time to get on the lifeboat called Jesus Christ and get off of the boat, amen? Because he's the answer. And so Alexander the Great, watch what happens to his kingdom. He conquers, look at verse 22. As for the broken horn... The four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of the nation, but not with its power. So it's, it's predicting that there was one large horn that led the ram. That large horn is Alexander the Great. When that horn is done, it's going to break off. He's going to die. He's not going to finish. And then four kings will take his place. He had four governors. Guess what happened? 250 years later, the Greeks took over the world, Alexander the Great died, and they split his kingdom into four pieces. Again, Daniel prophesies this, has this dream. Gabriel gives the interpretation over 200 years before it happens. That's because the Bible rocks, amen? The Bible is true, and it's right here in front of us. When people say, why do you believe in a book written by men? And I'll say, you know, who do you follow? And then they tell you a book written by men, yeah. amen? <laughs> The difference is the book that, this, you've heard me say this one more time, won't hurt, 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it. This is the living, breathing word of God. And because of it, it transforms our lives and we can turn to him and he gives us clear direction. Notice it says there, uh, so point number two there, bad, baddest things have been, greater persecution is coming, and the Greeks were going to be broken into four pieces. It will not have the same amount of power it once had. And then we get to point number four, that the Antichrist will oppose God and his people in every way. It says, in the latter time of their kingdom, now this is the Greeks having been broken into four pieces, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king will arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. That sounds like someone running for public office. So it says the latter time, the prophecy is this passage is equally true, both of Antichus Epiphanes and the Antichrist. This is an example of a prophetic passage that has both the near and far fulfillment. He will have fierce features. So Antichus was known to be for his cruel brutality, but this, and this will also be true of the coming Antichrist. He will be fierce. He will be without compassion. He'll be a man that will fool people and then will be someone who is fierce in his behavior, who understands sinister schemes and through his cunning. Antichus was known for his flattery and his smooth tongue. The coming Antichrist will strike a covenant with Israel. He's going to dupe Israel. 
The Antichrist will get Israel to sign on with him as the one that they want to follow. And many will believe he is the Messiah they have been waiting for, and they will be duped for up to three and a half years until the abomination of desolation. Guys, this is why we don't put our faith in men. Amen? You can be flattering, you can be you know, charismatic, like I said before, but it's not about how charismatic your speech is. It's about the content of your heart. Verse 24 says, His power shall be mighty, but not his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. His power will be mighty. Antichrist Epiphanes was empowered by Satan and allowed by God. The same will be true of the Antichrist. Most people believe that not only will he be demon-possessed, but the Antichrist will be Satan-possessed. That literally Satan will dwell within him. And this is Satan's last chance in his mind to ruin God's plan. And Satan, while he is more intelligent than us, he's also stupid. Because he thought the cross was his victory and it was his greatest defeat. Amen? And he's going to think in the end, even though he's read this book, no doubt. He's heard it taught. Amen? Doesn't like it. But he's still going to think that in the end, he has a chance to win. And he's going to use the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to align with the enemy. And too many people today are aligning themselves with the enemy, and often they don't even know it. It says his power will be powerful again, not his own power, perhaps hinting that Antichrist was being aided by some sort of evil demonic power. And we know the Antichrist, again, Revelation 13, 2, will be empowered by Satan himself. Notice it says he will destroy who? The who? The holy people, the holy people, the people that are set apart unto the Lord, God's chosen people. Now, again, in the days of Antichrist Epiphany, that's the Jews. Uh, at the end of time, it's going to be Israel again, but it's also going to be Christians. And that's why we are so cl closely linked to Israel. Because even though, now, by the way, this is a Jew, people tell me, oh, I'm a Jew, I can't come to your church. And I say, this is a Jewish book written by, about a Jewish savior. Amen written by Jewish people. All the first century Christians, for the most part, were Jews. Amen? The Old Testament is always pointing to Jesus. Praise God for those who wrote the Old Testament and protected it. Amen? Praise God for God delivering it to us. And so they're going to go after the holy people, the people that love and serve the true and living God. He not only destroyed his enemies, but he also harshly persecuted the people of God. Antichrist was just a preview of the Antichrist. And again, the spirit of Antichrist. Why, do all, why does everybody hate the Jews? Can you understand? Does it make any sense? If you stand back from a worldly perspective, I ask that question to people. Why is it a, a nation the size of New Jersey is the focal point of the entire world? Why is that? Because God said so. Amen? Do you know, guys, if we hadn't had to cancel our trip, we were leaving for Israel tomorrow? We we're supposed to leave tomorrow. Between the three churches, there's 140 of us going to Israel tomorrow. And now that's not going to happen. But look, in God's timing, look, if they'd let me go, I'd go tomorrow. I'd go. Because can't threaten us with heaven. Can I get amen to that? And from Israel, it's a local call when you pray, right? So, <laughs> right? There's a new Jerusalem coming. We're all going to visit that one. We're longing for that day, amen? So the spirit of Antichrist, we see it in Hitler, Hated the Jews, hated them. Stalin hated the Jews, 
Hate the Jews, want the Jews killed. And now we have students, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. We have students on campuses in our country right now marching against Israel and chanting from the river to the sea. That means they want every Jew wiped off the face of the earth. They may not understand that that's what they're singing, but people are so duped into believing that that land belongs to Palestine, which isn't even a nation when God is the one who gave it to them. It was always theirs. It always will be theirs. And everyone else is trespassing on God's property. Amen. And so there are people that are so caught up and listening to what the world has to say, and they're being duped. And we're just getting a picture of what the whole world's going to look like during the Great Tribulation. They're going to hate the Jews. They're going to hate those who convert to Christianity during the Great Tribulation. If you give your life to the Lord in Tribulation, you're going to lose your head, literally. If you won't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to buy and to sell, and, and you will probably be martyred for your faith. And guys, so we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. When the world doesn't like what we stand for, when they want us to keep our faith to ourselves, I had I, a young lady text me this week, be a Christian if you want, just keep it to yourself. You don't understand Christianity. If I'm keeping it to myself, I'm not walking the walk that Jesus has called me to, amen? We're called to be salt and light. We're called not to keep, hide, hide it under a bush. Oh no, this is a lot of mine. Can I get an amen to that? We're not supposed to do that. We learned that when we were two years old in Sunday school, man. Don't, don't hide your light under the bushel. We'll be defeated. They're going to be defeated and judged by God and all who have come before him. All these false, you know, Hitler died a violent death. Stalin, all these guys who've come against God's people, it always looks like they're winning for a time. Antichrist epiphanies look like he was winning for a time. The Antichrist is going to look like he's winning for a time. Be still. God's in control. God wins. Amen. Verse 25, through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. Who's that? That's Jesus. But he shall be broken without human means. He shall cause deceit to prosper. Both the rule of the Antichrist Epiphanes in the past and of the Antichrist were marked with deception. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Isn't it amazing how many cults come along and people fall for it? Scientology. Cult. Amen? L. Ron Hubbard claimed he was God. And then he died, okay? And three days later, that brother did not get back up. Can I get an amen to that? But people are putting their faith in something. They put their faith in the craziest things you've ever seen. And you know why they do? Because they know something's missing. Because they know that there's something else that they need for their life to be right. And what they need to understand is it's Jesus. And you know what? We've got cultists going door to door in our neighborhoods. And there are, more, there are people that are willing to do more for a cult than we're, for a lie than we're willing to do for truth. Amen? They don't come to my house anymore, but the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses used to come by. And I would see them and I would think, you know, they're trying, they're, they're, you know, this is what they believe. But we know the truth. And a lot of times we keep it to ourselves. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise a hand. I just want to think about this. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? 
When's the last time you told somebody about the love of God? When's the last time you offered to pray with somebody? When was the last time that you started praying for your, your coworkers by name? When was the last time you shared your faith with anyone? When's the last time? I want to encourage you. It should be every day. Shouldn't have to, oh yeah, what about 11 months ago one time I told somebody about, he saw my cross and asked me a question. I answered it. I want to encourage you. Pray every day for divine appointments because people need Jesus. And aren't you glad somebody told you about Jesus? And we need to tell people about the Lord. Amen? We need to be unashamed of the gospel. But the enemy is going to be cunning and, and he's going to deceive people. There are people that believe such nonsense because the Bible tells us, again, there, there's, there's scales over their eyes and they're believing a lie. It's crazy to me that people think that we have a phobia because we believe there's only men and women. And, they, and they, they are jumping up and down saying, no, but you're transphobic. If you, no, you're Christophobic because the word of God is the truth. Amen. But we've got two plus two is 11. And people are like, yeah, that's what it is. It's craziness. But why does it happen? Because the enemy is deceitful. Amen? And he's deceiving these people. And the sad part is they're going to mutilate themselves because they're listening to the enemy. And before it's over, they're going to regret it. And what should we do? Pray for them. You know what else we should do? Love them. Amen? You know, they say you either have to affirm them or you hate them. We do neither. We don't affirm it and we don't hate them. We love them and we want to be there to pick up the pieces when they finally realize what they've done is really harmed themselves and it does not bring them the answer they were looking for. Amen? And that's true of any sin that we get. So he's going to be deceitful. He will exalt himself in his heart. Don't you hate pride in other people? Amen? Hate it. I will tell you this. The thing I... I, I despise most about myself is my own pride. Because what does pride do? Pride is what got Satan thrown out of heaven. Amen? Pride, when you think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We can go, go, go read through Proverbs. It'll, it'll give you a lesson on pride and humility. God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. If you want to see grace from God, be humble. By the way, who are you compared to Almighty God? Amen? Humble pill. And we all should be humble. And the reality is, here's what we can get prideful about. God gives you a gift, then he lets you use it, and then he, you know, the gift that he gave you, and then he gives you rewards for the gift he gave you, and then you take credit for it. It's like somebody buying you a gift and you take credit for it. Aren't I amazing, this gift that someone else gave me? Look at me, right? And the reality is, the gift's got, it's for his glory, not yours. Amen. But what happens is we want, we, we want to be puffed up. How many followers do I have now on TikTok or whatever, right? How many people are praising my name? And oh, they, they mentioned so-and-so about the project he did at work and they forgot to mention not my name. My feelings are hurt. It's not about you. Get over yourself. Can I get an amen to that? But that's what the enemy is. He's prideful. He's going to have people praising him. He shall arise against the prince of princes. Now we know how that's going to go. Amen? He's going to rise up against Almighty God. It says this of the Antichrist. He basically thumbs his nose at God. It's in Revelation 16, 16. It says, when Jesus returns, the Antichrist will gather his armies of the world to Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon, in order to fight with Jesus. And guess who's coming back right behind him? We are. Riding white horses, coming with the Lord, 
and we're going to see the defeat of the enemy, our hearts should not be rejoicing in the fact that all those people will be destroyed. Our hearts should be burdened to see those people saved before they're destroyed. Amen? And praise God that we're coming back with him. He says he'll be broken without human means. You know, it says that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes died of a disease. In a similar way, no one will defeat the Antichrist, but the hand of Jesus will strike him down, Revelation 19, 20. So the picture of the Antichrist, he'll arise out of the former Greek and Roman empire. He'll have fierce features. He'll be strikingly good looking. He will come, and he'll be very uh, harsh in the way he deals with people. He will come when corruption is at its all-time high. And we're getting close to that, aren't we? We'll be able to solve the world's problems. We'll be empowered by Satan. We'll, we'll through de- deception, prosper. He'll place himself in a place of the Most High and will battle against Jesus Christ himself. But God himself will bring judgment and the Antichrist will oppose God in his people in every way. Last, last point there, or verse 26. Look what it says here. And in the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told to me, therefore seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. Revelation tells us this. Blessed is he who reads those and who hears the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. There's people that avoid prophecy and the Bible tells us, blessed are those who read it, believe it, and act upon it. Last verse. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision but no one understood it. See, when he saw what was coming for the world and the judgment of God and how people were going to be wiped out and what was going to take place, he was not rejoicing in it. He was heartbroken by it. Guys, as believers, we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? I can't, I, how thankful are you that you're saved? Guys, we should be so it should, we should wake up every morning. People say, I'll say, How, how's it going? Today? Well, I woke up on, on the good side of the dirt. I, I think the better side's when I'm in the dirt. Can I get an amen to that? Heaven's better. But as believers, I think when we say, you know what? Another day to serve the King of Kings. Amen? Another day to tell other people about Jesus and another day closer to heaven because that's where we are as believers and we should have that passion. So what should prophecy do? He fainted, he was sick, he was astonished, it broke his heart. He, and notice, he went about the king's business. So even though he knew it was coming, he still was faithful in his calling. And even though we know Jesus is coming back, doesn't mean we should all go sit up on a mountain somewhere and wait. That we don't go hide in a, you know, a bunker somewhere and get a bunch of canned goods and, you know, and, and be worried. What do we do? We should be busy about his business. When he comes back, may we, he find us busy about his work for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen. Last point, the lesson here is prophetic motivation. Biblically, biblical prophecy isn't just meant to amaze and astound you. It's meant to motivate you. I pray you leave here more stirred up to share your faith with others. I pray you leave here with a greater passion to read the word of God. I pray that you leave here and go to work tomorrow and be the best worker in the building. And instead of moaning and complaining about what's happening at work, look at it as your mission field and an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. When you show up at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you're walking around your neighborhood, the Holy Spirit's walking around your neighborhood. When you're at the grocery store, the Holy Spirit just entered the grocery store. Guys, we are tools in the hands of the master. May we be motivated to tell others about him and to live for him out loud. Amen? In Jesus' name.
Last verse I want to quote, 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, when the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and its works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening and the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. All that stuff that we pursue in this life is all passing away. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, I know prophecy is not always easy to understand, but I pray if we leave here with anything, it's a motivation knowing that the end could be near and that we want to live a life, Lord, that loves, serves, and ministers to others, that points people to Jesus. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we recognize that when people are caught up in sinful behavior, that the answer is not to browbeat them, but to share with them the hope that lies within us. May we love you so much that it provokes others to jealousy. And Lord, we do pray for the peace of Israel. The word of God tells us to do so. And we pray for that, Lord. And we're thankful, Lord, that no matter what happens in the world around us, in the end, we know who wins. And because you are for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,